0: Hello
1: everybody and welcome back to the Line of the Industry podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins, back after a very short absence due to work commitments. This is episode 163 and I'm joined by the ever-reliable Chris Manning and James Jarvis, almost as reliable as an opposition's team's iPhone co- iFollow commentators to be upset by how much better Bolton are than their side. We're looking at you, Carlisle and Morecambe. Also on the pod is a man who needs no introduction to any Bolton fan worth their salt. He's the Chief Football Writer at the Bolton News and host of the second best Bolton Wanderers dedicated podcast, Mark Isles. Mark, thank you very much for gracing us with, with your lofty presence. Uh,
2: I imagine your job has been made a little bit easier by Bolton doing the job on Saturday. I'd, I'd, I'd just first like to uh, to address your your opening uh, opening gambit there, Tom. Uh, the sec- <laughs> the, no, I, I take absolute offence at it because the second best podcast The Wanderer. We're we're kind of tucked in tucked in third. Actually, the Will Joneses we might be below that one now. <laughs> or, 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 or that strange TV one that's cropped up as well. That uh, that that I can't quite uh, can't quite. I can't. Wanderous I can't Weekly. Wondrous Weekly. That's the one. That's the one. Um, yeah, they're ten a penny nowadays.
1: Really. That's what I said. I, I bet you never thought when you, when you entered into the podcast game that you'd be going into such a crowded market for what was at the time a League One or League Two club.
2: Well, I used to feel special coming on here, but now it's like it's just it's just been <laughs> inconvenient to be honest. <laughs> it, it's forced us to up
1: our game, if nothing else. <laughs> I wonder if the competitors
3: will get to episode one hundred and sixty-three anytime soon.
2: I, I, I dearly hope not. If if I'm still doing the buff in in a hundred episodes, then you guys have got full full uh, full permission to to come and hunt me down and and knock my iPod out my hand, to be truthful. <laughs>
1: Let's hope by the time you get to that point, Mark, you're (laughs) commentating on a a team who's
2: maybe Championship or Premier League level. Who knows? God, can you imagine that? Again, that would be pretty good. Full (laughs) circle. I'll be writing my book. If it ever comes that full full circle, I think I'll I'll be taking a sabbatical to write that uh, to write that book. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading it. Certainly, or at least Mm -hmm. if you get an audible version, I'm far I'm far too lazy to read things nowadays. Um, Sorry, we've got got, got us off track a little bit, slagging off every other Bolton Wanderers podcast. But then again, it wouldn't be Bolton (laughs) Wanderers without a little bit of rivalry. Um, The reason, of course, for uh, the I follow commentators of Morecambe and Carl's bitterness is that Bolton took all three points off both of them. uh, But most recently at the Mizuma Stadium on the seaside in what was definitely our biggest game of the season. True promotion six pointer victory uh, that has given Wanderers a four point cushion over the shrimps in the automatic promotion spots. Quick turnaround in podcast for us, but it was such an important game result that it warranted a proper dissection. And seeing as you're here doing us a favour, Mark, I'll come to you first for your assessment. How, how pleasing was it for Wanderers to go into a big game
2: and actually come out on the right side of things for once? Well, I've been—I was—I was strangely confident, but I've been quite confident to be honest for for a couple of months. And they—they they just seem to be able to do to raise their game now. You know, they've got that kind of mentality, that mechanical. Way of grinding out results, and yes, we'd love to be two, three goals up. Should have been in a couple, of, quite a few games a season. But I just think that they are coasting to it. They're, they really are looking, looking the part. And I, I mean, Morecambe God bless them. uh They are still very much a non-league side, as as the I follow commentators will attest. uh It's <laughs> it's a it's a very uh, how how can I put this nicely? Very low grade. Um, League Two club, um, but to go there and to do such a professional job was um, was was top notch. And, and I'm no fan of Derek Adams. I don't think uh, I don't think his behaviour was particularly good on the day. I, I wasn't a great fan of the the behaviour of the club, if I'm being honest. Um, but to come out again and uh, with the, with those away away points, just just magnificent. they they're just yeah, they're they're in the groove. They're in the groove. I I presume a lot of the stuff that
1: um, Morcombe did, maybe on and off the pitch, would have been just to try and stifle us, to try and get under our skin to the point where they could, you know, let their let their football do the talking rather than ours. Are, are you able to elaborate on what kind of other things that you noticed on the day aside from the ridiculous moving of uh, the what was it the
2: uh, footballs Licking from on the, the, from balls, the yeah.
1: designated place for throw-ins and stuff?
2: Yeah, that was that was Derek Adams sent uh, sent his kitman man round. The poor, the poor sod. The kit man didn't want to do it either. He's he's like, what what I got to do? And he's he's going around nicking all the sterilised balls. You, you've obviously got to use specific balls now um, that have that have been sprayed and all that kind of thing. But no, I mean you see, certainly Aphelion got uh, got a real rough ride, and he he did in the previous game as well. To be honest, I think teams are. Genuinely starting to kick him up in the air, but he's got that needle about him where he gives it back as well, and that that is great to see. Um, but yeah, those two commentators, I think, gave uh, gave the manager a bit of a winding up. I, I believe he, he referred to them as a naughty word. Um, <laughs> you can say naughty stage. words on this podcast, Mark, if you want. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, wouldn't besmirch my reputation. Um,
3: That's sorry, right, I'll let yeah. James
2: do it in a sec. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, it was. It was just. Certainly I mean, you know, this this has been a ridiculous season, but it, sometimes uh, the, the COVID rules as well. I mean, this is this is a journalist problem. This isn't anything to do with football, but just some of the the uh, the the jobs worths that have risen to the fore during uh, during COVID uh, are incredible, and the stewards are literally ruling the roost now in the, in these clubs because there's no fans in. The stewards have now got jobs at the front door. And they are causing life. Oh God, it's horrible. It's terrible. And uh, Morecambe were one of the very best. I think they're right up there with Stevenage and an Oldham as well as uh, as one of the most difficult places I've had to go to. Um, it's uh, it's it's just mad. I can't wait for things to get back to normal, just so I can walk into a ground without sterilising sterilise myself. And also being able to watch
1: the uh, steward racing uh, out through the stands. I presume Would that's a nice.
2: of a way, Dave. I can't wait to record them again.
1: Um, it's interesting you mentioned the job's worse there because I'll I'll come to you James for this sort of going through the day chronologically I'm surprised if they were that keen to try and follow all the rules and regulations that they didn't stop the massive congregation of 200 or so Bolton Wanderers fans outside of, of the ground it seemed as though that they were quite happy to sort of let them stand there and chant without, you know, trying to disperse them under any kind of COVID rules or whatever. But just for you, James, as a fan, I presume you're very jealous of not being there, but how pleasing was it to see a fan presence at an away game?
0: No, I, I would have loved to go. I would have absolutely loved to go. Uh, but unfortunately, I was looking after my dog on the day. Say, vie. it is what it is. But yeah just just to hear that kind of passionate roar from the crowd you know the kind of stuff that you'd hear on um trains to away games outside the stadiums in the pubs before start before the start of the match or that you'd hear in the concourse during half time ah oh, it, it 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 almost sends a shiver up your spine it, it almost feels nostalgic in a way it's been that long since we've been inside the grounds and ah oh, I, I can't I can't emphasise enough how much I miss it I can't wait for next season when I'm allowed back in that stadium and especially when we're back in that stadium in League 1 facing much better teams than the dregs we're facing now yeah it,
1: it, it's well we've got to get there first I keep on having to stress this that we've got to get there first I'm, I'm far too cautious after the Grims I've jinxed enough have Lof- you've done, you've done you've done your level best mate <laughs> you're, lucky, you're lucky you're still on put it that way um Chris, I know that away games and whatever are are not exactly your cup of tea, but again, same question to you. What what did you make of the fans gathering outside the ground? I presume you wouldn't have been amongst those hordes, even if you were available to do so, but it, it must have been reasonably good for you to be able to see fans supporting the boys and maybe it gave them a lift to going into the game.
3: Yeah I was at a family barbecue getting absolutely steaming on beer that I didn't buy so I had absolutely no complaints at not being there so I think the the visuals of, of seeing the, the the supporters a couple of hundred of them welcoming the lads on the coach it was a fantastic fantastic image one that's been long overdue and, and to be honest I'm surprised look looking at the simplicity of it now given the the number of of local games we've got I'm surprised it's taken this long I guess the the moment overtaking a few people and, and whether that's the right thing to do or not in this, this current climate is is another matter. Some will agree, some won't. But it was brilliant and, and I think to see the engagement on both sides was really refreshing too. I know we, we spoke about this a couple of times on the podcast before when in the past it's been difficult to to love Bolton, I think, recently for, for many, many reasons. But without a doubt, this 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 team and the way it's run from top to bottom, appears to be uniting the fans in a way that hasn't happened probably in the last 15 years. It's absolutely brilliant and I've no doubt those scenes will be repeated even to a greater extent come Saturday, especially if the result goes in our favour.
1: Yeah, no, I'll, I'll certainly be looking forward to a similar kind of gathering if one does what does take place before that game. Although having said that, Probably won't be there beforehand because again, don't want to jinx it. Afterwards, I'll be very much game to get involved in whatever, whatever might transpire. Mark, obviously, you get the behind-the-scenes kind of, of view of this. Obviously, you probably don't talk to the players before the game, but you'll be able to gauge reaction afterwards. Do you think that the presence of the fans had had a pretty lasting effect on their performance on the day? Yeah, without
2: a doubt. We, we uh, Ian Everett came over to us before the game and and had a smile on his face and. Uh, said, bloody hell, it's like Galatasaray out there. And, and you could you could hear them. They were still singing at that point in time. And, you know, fair play to them. I mean, I, 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 you have to be quite careful because obviously by the letter of the law, you know, we're all having to be careful at the moment. And and, and I would echo that as well for Saturday, that people have just got to be careful. Um But uh, it was lovely to hear that kind of, that visceral Reaction when the players came round in in the team bus, and then obviously afterwards when they they did that little kind of wave from the from the little hill. Um, but the, the players knew that without a doubt uh, they were they were talking about it on the way into the stadium. Um, they were really happy to see it, and and like I say, uh, Ian Everett was was extremely uh, extremely pleased to to have to have got that because I mean, what a weird first season as a manager, and for for most of the players, what a weird first season. You know, not to really have even met their own supporters um or to, to have really forged any any particular bond, but somehow it's happened and somehow it's happened from us sat there watching it on T V screens or, you know, from a distance or, you know, talking about it on podcasts and, and social media. It it's been a strange old old way of doing it, but it has happened and I agree with what you said there about the, the kind of it's been difficult to love Bolton but somehow it's it's happened from afar. Long distance relationships do work, I suppose. <laughs> Not necessarily sure anyone listening to this podcast should take that advice on
1: board for general life, but uh, <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe for maybe their for football club. Um, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's fantastic to be able to have uh, a decent relationship between club and fans again. Um, I said we were going to do this in chronological order, but it naturally follows that we talk about after the game when um, Ian Abbott uh, ignored the advice of the police and then brought the players out to thank the fans. I think it's small touches like that, isn't it, Mark, that really have made people warm to this team because I think there could have been times over the course of this season where having the fans in the stadium could have really been a problem for Ian
2: Everett Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, I think he accepts that as well, I think uh, you know, had that first four or five weeks where it was, you know, it hadn't settled, the quality wasn't there you know, they, they, they'd they underperformed and, and over-promised at that point in time as well, uh, you know, it would have we know what the stadiums like and you know that that horrible grumble that that accompanies half time if bolton are not at least one goal up at half time there's always that that bubbling groan that accompanies the players down the tunnel and then it gets steadily worse and worse and worse and you know it's they bolton fans are a hard bunch to please there's there's no question but when they're with you good grief they're with you and i think yeah it's it's also a shame that they haven't had that when they've been improving and had that kind of reinforcement, because I do think that would maybe have just pushed them to go and get that second goal and, and be a bit more showy and flashy because the football has been good enough to warrant a good win um, it, on occasion. And I think it's sometimes just that little bit of impetus that that, that, that would come with a, a following from fans, but no masterstroke from ever afterwards uh, with, with sending the players up without a doubt, um, and you know, I, 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 he deserves it. He really does deserve it. He's, he's a good bloke, and that's it. All co- it all boils down really to the fact that the, the club is is run and managed by decent people at the minute, and that's kind of shining through in in the squad and, and in the way that it's outwardly portraying itself. And, and I think the fans have cottoned caught, caught to that well. Yeah, no, nothing would increase that uh,
1: bond between the two than a promotion. So let's hope that we can get ourselves over the line. Um, James, I, I've criticised Everett. we all criticised Everett over the course of this season. I, I still think in some, in some aspects that he does show a bit of stubbornness or an unwillingness to, to change his ways. I think this season, his ability to do it in the end has sort of shone through. But it's moments like that and gestures like that after the game against Morecambe that really shows that at least he does get it does isn't it and it's hard for me to put in other words, but it, it's just that sentiment that I feel he gets what it means to for the fans of this club to have a good bond between them and the team
0: oh yeah, you can tell he's really in tune with the fan base both even though he hasn't really met them both in real life and from what he sees on social media for better or worse, social media is now in the game, but Everett seems to be understanding what some of the more well I should say the more grounded fans say. On the likes of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc., and he just and he does seem to just take the fans' opinions on board. And though at the end of the day, he's still the manager and decides decisions. He he understands kind of what the fans are on and takes that on board. It's like you said it yourself. He completely ignored the um, the police advice to bring the players over and just show their appreciation for when they uh, for when they were clapping them towards the entrance and for getting such a fantastic result. Like I can imagine, maybe saying in the changing room that 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 fan response out there for when you came in—that's your team talk right there. That's how much the fans are behind you, and that's how much they want you to succeed. That's what you can get if you can continue what you're doing now, and uh, and also as uh, as well with Ian, it's, it 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 was just really good timing, especially as well to to do that kind of move especially with all the debacle with other clubs we've seen it we've seen the big news we all saw how the big six really didn't give a shit about their fans when it came to the european super league and now how they're trying their best to get back at it it's completely the opposite here and we all we we saw the response to when the britons were driving by exit in the car and i know you i know some of you have different thoughts on (laughs) how on how bad it was but I feel
1: sorry for them, to be honest. I mean, it's lovely to show to, for the fans to show them support, but if I were Sharon and her sons, I'd have been terrified that someone was going to nick my watch or something at that point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it, it it's it's a club it's a club united right now, and it it all sign all signs just point to a, a continuously upward trajectory at this moment. And if 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 Ian can keep harnessing that kind of positivity, that kind of momentum. Who who knows what heights we can reach in the next few years?
1: Sky's the limit, or let's hope it is anyway. Chris, as as I said before, we've all criticised Everton and some of the decisions that he's made and some of the things that he's said in the media. He seems to have... I mean, it's obviously a lot easier to do when the team is winning and being so successful, but the way that he's been portraying himself outwardly, I think, has been a lot more easy for fans to stomach over the course of the season. Has your opinion of him changed at all, or is it just the results on the pitch that have... Have sort of kept you on side.
3: Yeah, I don't really know. To be honest, it's a good question. i, I was definitely a time grumbler. By the way, Mark, I'll, I'll fully hold my hands up at being a a bit time grumbler. Sometimes a full, sometimes a kick-off and full-time grumbler too. But uh, that was that was in the past. And um, I was just it just made me laugh thinking back to to various moments of watching Wanderers of various away games over the years at home and abroad. What reaction managers would have got at different points in time? I mean. I remember going to Sporting Lisbon. Megson didn't come over and clap the fans after that. That probably would have been a bad idea. Didn't come and clap the fans the, the week after against Wigan either. But whilst it doesn't necessarily matter to me personally, whether the manager gets the club or, or connects with the fans, you can see the the, the reaction it spawned uh, for the fans that were present and those wishing they were too. I just think that the the, 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 the level of, of being connected is long, long overdue. And whether he... Whether he was lucky to be in a job at Christmas. He probably wasn't, to be honest. It was just us being our typical reactionary selves. But I don't think anyone can deny him the credit of turning things around. I'll probably not go all the way in, in calling him a legend, like I've seen some people call him on, online last weeks. But I think giving a League Two club three or four players from championship level or below and a Premier League player in Lion goes a long way to, towards turning around what was going to be a pretty hopeless season but regardless it, it leaves me excited to see what the next season campaign could be and I don't care if you're going to touch at me Tom for get, going a bit too far I think we'll, we'll, Saturday will take care of itself but going into League One I think we're going to see even you know a new and improved effort too because he is still so young in his managerial career finding his way and you've got to think the more opportunities he's got to work with better players I think it's just exciting
1: yeah, no, I, I won't touch you for that. But it's just as long as I don't say it. I think, I think, it, as long as I can absolve myself of blame,
3: does uh, mm-hmm.
1: count. Exactly, exactly. I'm more than happy after that point. But no, I agree with you. I think, I think maybe it was um, a little bit too hasty to judge, and I, I fully admitted that in, in, in the article that I did, basically saying I got this one wrong because it's very difficult for me to stomach us losing to Tranmere anyway. But certainly in the manners that we did, I, I, I couldn't. I, I, it was hard for me to sort of go. Uh, not see that result in isolation rather than see the bigger picture, but um, he has certainly proven me wrong, and I'm no one is happier than me to have been proved wrong anyway. Let's talk football, Mark. Before the game, it was a bit of a doubt as to whether Declan John was going to be involved. Mm. Uh, I presume you probably knew that he wasn't going to be before we did. Um, I, there was a lot of talk in our chat, certainly, I think a little bit on Twitter, about who would be in line to replace him, and the general consensus would be that Brocky would, would go and play left back. Were you surprised
2: to see Ben Jackson get the nod? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I thought uh, I thought Brocky was in line for that myself. Uh, it was really only the morning of the game that I heard that Declan wasn't going to play, but even going up and driving up to Morecambe, I was expecting Brocky to be on the left-hand side. Um, I mean, you've got to take your cap off to, to Ben Jackson. I think he's been, he's been playing for Huddersfield's under-23s to keep himself fitter than he would have been. So... I think that in itself was a great move, but his attitude was just great on the day. You know, he he, he, he you barely missed Declan John, and that's that's high praise indeed because he's been one of the one of the real outstanding performers. And you know, they, he took his goal well, got up and down the left, no problem. You know, he, he had a couple of other chances as well, um, and his attitude really good. He gave good good interview after the game as well, and, and just said, you know, I've been, you know. Disappointed, obviously, not not to be getting more football, but to to be able to to work with this bunch and to work with Declan John, he, he felt he's felt the whole loan has been a, a fantastic experience for him, and you know he's going to go back to Huddersfield next season, but I I for one would like to see him back at Bolton. I think he's got a lot of growing to do. It's a, it's amazing
1: what a good performance does, isn't it? I think we we had that that conversation in in, in the chat because obviously. It's not necessarily realistic, even if we do get promoted, to see Declan John coming back. You'd imagine he'll have shooters higher up the table, if or higher up the pyramid anyway. Um, if, if Ben Jackson can perform like that on a regular basis, he makes a, a, a very good replacement. But also, Mark, what we've seen on Twitter, certainly from him, he's been really, really involved, or been desperate to show everybody that he wants to be involved and that he wants the club to do well, and really been taken up along with the fans in, in the good run that we've had. Um, have you have you noticed that when, when speaking to him or was Saturday one of the first opportunities you've had to actually get to talk to
2: him? It's the pre- first proper interview we've done with him, but I, I totally agree with you about the social media side. I mean, there's obviously a lot of spotlight on that side of things at the moment, but I think the way that he uses it reminds me a little bit of people like Stu Holden where, you know, he he, he couldn't do any wrong at all because he, he didn't get embroiled in any of the daft stuff. He just, you know, it was always positive kind of reinforcement, he... You know, liked the right things. He uh, he had a bit of banter where it was necessary, and and you know he's done really really well. He's, he's he's a young lad with his head screwed on, as I said at the weekend, and I think it's that's very refreshing. It's it's full credit to him, and he came across very well in that interview, and uh, and I think yeah he's he's got something about him that, that makes me think he's going to have a good career. There's a few uh, cool young heads in in that team, which um, one of which will
1: come onto a little bit later, but James. We've obviously been very, very impressed with Jackson's performance. Um, you gave him a little bit of criticism, like I did, to be fair, towards the start of his Bolton career. How, how pleasantly surprised were you by how well he performed? Because like, I thought in all aspects of the game, goal aside, he, he was superb as well.
0: Yeah, I was probably <clears throat> I was probably one of the most vocal out of all of us how poor I thought Jackson was in, in, his, in his starts for us. Um, he, he was slightly getting better, but it was getting slightly better from terrible to not as bad. But that that <laughs> performance, um, upon his return to the team, oh that that completely blew my expectations out the water. I I did say that I would have played him anyway just because I wanted a left footer there to have balance, but he demonstrated his talent with both feet, especially when it especially when taking his shots and making his passes, doing his doing his dribbles down that left hand side. Yeah, no, the lad rightfully deserved all the plaudits he got for that game. I really hope he can. Continue it going for the rest of the season because after a get after a performance like that, I won't I won't drop him for for John despite how much I like John. You know, let this lad keep the momentum going, let it see where it takes him for the rest of the season. Um, I like yeah. I like your point that he was um staying committed to the teams, following up with the results on online, and engaging the fans in that regard. And yeah, it seems like his attitude and his application in in the training games and the academy games with with Huddersfield it it all seems to have done him well for when he's for when he was ready to replace a quite capable beckham john it's it's done him well and long may it continue whether that's with us next season or with another club next season or with Huddersfield
1: yeah, I think I told you this, James. Before the game, when we saw him on the team sheets, And my dad, who obviously watches every game but doesn't necessarily follow the ins and outs of who's in the team or whatever, and usually relies on me to be able to give him some insight into into who's playing, um, hadn't actually he didn't actually remember Jackson having played in those earlier games before we got um, John back into the team. And uh, was sitting there stewing on the sofa before the match started, thinking, oh my God, it's going to be another Danny Butterfield situation. Um, <laughs> no one's that bad.
0: No one's that truth, bad.
1: <laughs> Couldn't have been further from the truth, could it? I don't think anyone, as we say, because of the engagement that we've seen from him on Twitter and how committed to the course he seems to have been, we were all very, very pleased to see him take his chance very, very well. One person, as we said before, Chris, who we expected possibly to take up that opportunity would have been Harry Brockbank. The poor lad seems to be pulled from pillar to post, playing in every position on the pitch for this club, and doesn't seem to complain at all. And seems to do it completely willingly, even you know, being the sub-goalkeeper, allegedly, uh, after some of his training performances. Uh, but we've got Gethin Jones playing well on the right-hand side. We've got Jackson and John on the left. It must be very, very frustrating for him, don't you think, with, with Brocky not being able to get into this team?
3: Definitely. I think the, the interview I saw on the club channel with Baptiste was quite, uh, quite telling, too. Who, who said that maybe the first, that the first spell he had at Wanderers was hampered by that same... Element of versatility, and I think that for someone like Brockbank who hasn't pinned down one particular position, you know, 100 in his career so far, I hope he's not going to suffer for it because you can see that his his being at the club and, and supporting the club is is a brilliant brilliant thing to have to have that local local spirit in there along with him and Adam Senior and people along those sorts of lines. I, I wasn't too sad though, in all honesty, not to see Brockbank starting. I think he's been okay. Over the course of the season, probably that's about as far as I'd go in terms of in terms of reviewing his time. I did think John was not hitting the same heights. I wouldn't say playing poorly because he wasn't, but not hitting the same heights at all in the last three or four games. But then again, for a guy who's had a fairly broken career in terms of playing and not for injuries or, or selection purposes, that's perhaps not to be surprised uh, with. But just to finish off, to echo what the guy said about Jackson, I just think his attitude's been fantastic, undoubtedly. You know, describe left back as a bit of a, a bit of a spanner position from time to time. I I, I thought he'd done really he did really really well, uh, and let's not forget that at various points in the season, even the most established players in the team like Santos and and Doyle, Sarsic, Williams, people like that, they've all had rough patches, and I think that to see that that all of them without exception have come back from that, uh, ju- it just shows that the attitude's spot on in the squad. We haven't got any wasters. We haven't got any you know, Medin's waiters in the, in the club who, who, are, who are divisive, who are, who are idiots. There's none of that. The, the guys are all pulling the right direction and, and we're, we're getting the results on the back of it. And again, I think that's probably something you can pat Everett on the back for too and, and his staff for, for fostering that. But listening to the lads speak, all of them talking together, you know, I, I listen to, it's quite an old one now, but the Sarsevich of the podcast in the summer when he just signed for us. Humble guy, come from, you know, local football, Pleased to be here. You probably would say that about 99 percent of the squad. You know they're all playing at probably the highest level they've ever they've ever played at in terms of the size of the club. Uh, and I, I'll include Jackson in that, and also Brockbank too. You know to to a degree that they all want to be here because they've all fought to be in this position. I think we're seeing that on the pitch, harking right back to the start of the podcast when Mark said about the the the, the attitude and the the endeavour. All of them want to be here and all of them are fighting for the club. I don't think there's anybody in that team, Jackson, whoever you want to name, that's not pulling in the right direction. And I think it's absolutely brilliant. It makes
1: a change, doesn't it? It makes a huge change. Because, I mean, you, you can't, well, you can't, I don't think you can necessarily say divisive and then call them idiots. That's fairly to the point as to what you think of them, Chris. But, but either way, we don't, you're right. I don't think we I thought
3: have it was quite not, I thought it was being quite subtle there, but maybe <laughs>
1: Not at all. Mark has to sort of sit here and just sort of listen to this and pretend that it's not happening. Uh, Unfortunately, this is the kind of thing that comes with the territory of being not a non-official podcast, although maybe it's one of the benefits, I don't know. Um, Mark, we're obviously going to talk about the game and one of the key moments, and that was the sending off, but just, just before that was a period of about 20 minutes or so where we were struggling, I would say, that there was severe pressure coming into the box from set pieces. And the thing I wanted to ask you was, why on earth... And I know you must ask Everett all this all the time. Why on earth do they not sort their act out from set pieces? Because it is absolutely terrifying every time we give anything away, even a bloody (laughs) throw-in,
2: watching that ball come into the box and them seemingly not know how to deal with it. I mean, I I don't... I'm not not sure that I agree that they they don't deal with it. Um, I I just... I'm I'm just bored of it, I have to say. I'm bored of turning up every week and talking about a long throw or set piece... You know, I can't wait until we're in a league where there might just be a mismatch of styles and, you know, we might be able to talk a little bit more about possession and, and you know, width and, you know, just some some degree of tactical flexibility. Uh, it, I, I think they've, they've managed. I mean, it's... it's When you're up against... I mean, this, these guys here, yeah, Morecambe, I must admit, I thought they were a better footballing team than they proved on the day. I, I, seem, I seem to have remembered in February that they were a better... Possession team than, than they they were, or they played better football. Um, what well, actually they've got they, they, they had the old Stoke, the six foot five inch flipping fullbacks, and everybody seemed to have a long throw, and they, they were just literally playing for set pieces. And it, it just it, it's boring me to tears seeing this every week. Um, and and you know, you can say they don't deal with it. I think they've not conceded many goals you know they, they haven't conceded much since february really if you uh, i don't i don't think there's too many teams that will have a, a better defense so um they must be doing something right and they've kept kept shouting them out and they're probably the the, the best exponents of that sort of style but they were under pressure first 20 minutes no question and I, I do think sometimes they could they could stop conceding the free kicks quite as much as they do i think they give away a lot of Cheap fouls, the, the you know the the, the and Lees, the Williams, the you know whichever holding midfield Bolton have had most of the season have, have seemed to have succumbed to that and, and given away silly silly free kicks around the penalty box. I think that's certainly something they can cut out. Yeah, I, tell, I tell you what it is. I, I completely agree with
1: you. I think maybe it's unfair to level the accusation out that they don't deal with with the set pieces effectively. I do think they get lucky quite a lot. Um, there doesn't seem to necessarily be a plan. Um, as in, I remember when we had Parkinson, obviously, as you've said numerous times, there was a lot of focus on set pieces, both defensively and going forward. Um, but as in, there was a set tactic, i.e. from corners, we had Medine free, and he would be the person who usually would head it away. We had McGuinness yeah. free, and he would be the person who had it away. And I think what they're trying to do is to have Santos as being that person who's free. But then what then transpired from one of the free kicks in that first 20-minute period was that Doyle was marking Lavelle. And Lavelle really should have scored. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's and, true. And, yeah, yeah. And, I, I'd, and I'd sooner want my centre-halves to be doing that job um, and if maybe an MJ Williams doing the job of, of being the free man who heads the ball away. Uh, until we can start conceding from them so regularly that it becomes a real, real problem, as we were doing earlier in the season, the mm. Tranmere one sticks out for me, then maybe I'm, I'll, I can let them off. But I do agree with you completely that the, the giving away of fouls in and around those dangerous areas, especially with teams who rely upon those set plays to score goals, I do think it's something that they need to they need to work on. But I, and I'll be able to ask you this as well because obviously, again, you get the sort of inside track. Do you think Ian Everett has sacrificed any kind of work on these on certain plays to make sure that his team can play the style that he wants to play? Because over the season, they have got what he was trying to do, which in the first two months was not particularly clear to everyone. But some of the football that they managed to play, and even some of these terrible pitches, is astounding
2: for a League Two level. Yeah, I think there must have been there must be some concession along the lines with the, the kind of the, the belt and braces stuff. Cause when you used to go down to the training ground with certainly when Parky was in charge, people like, you know, even going back to Sam and, and Megson, they would do big sessions on set pieces. It was a massive, massive part of the setup and the build up to every game. Uh, very, very detailed set pieces specifically designed against opponents and that kind of thing with this kind of big idea football that, that, and Everett tried to bring in there must have been some concession given uh, to try and get that working to try and get that motor in because it is a very complex style of football um and it's only really been when he's had the the players with the right sort of football brain in the building that it's it's really looked right and and I must say as well that I, I don't even think they're kind of 50 percent there with it yet I think there is a lot it's, there's a lot, lot more to come from them or a lot, lot more to come from his team um, because they play in, you know, fits and starts. 45 minutes maximum, I would say, you probably get of, 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 of real quality. Um, and, you know, eventually you would like to see that pan out over 90 minutes. And I, I think it will happen when they get better players in the building and, and keep keep this going over, over the course of another 12 months. Then, uh, then I think... Fingers crossed, you know, you should see that. But going back to your original thing about the set pieces, I think he admitted the other day that, that maybe he should work on them more. Maybe that's something they can do in pre-season. He won't have the kind of the, the ground of the foundation work to do on the style of play anymore. So maybe that's something they can start introducing and, and, and doing a bit more of. But, um, you know, so far you, you can't criticise too much because it's, it's been a really huge effort to, to get this style grafted on not only onto the first team, but then when they changed it in February onto the second team as well. Yeah, that's another good thing that um, we haven't actually covered an awful lot because
1: we've been so focused on the results for the first team that actually the, the boys in reserve. And as you say, I think this summer we're going to have another transition back to having a reserve team, if I'm am I correct. I think so, yeah, hopefully. I'm still yeah. waiting Sorry. on exactly how, but yeah. But give the opportunity for the younger lads to, to get some game time, players out of the team to get some game time, it can only be a positive thing in in my view Um, One of those players that Mark mentioned there, James who has a footballing brain uh, or a, a footballing brain capable of playing the star that everyone wants to play is, is Dapo Afalayan, who had an interesting 45 minutes, involved in the sending off uh, involved in a fracas with the manager and booked and then taken off Um, Firstly red card, yes or no?
0: Yes Definitely a ref, re, red card. He he lifted his hand he, he lifted his arm up to purposely <clears throat> trip off a lion. He, I heard the Morgan commentator saying, Oh, he stood on his ankle, he stood on his ankle. Replay shows he definitely didn't, so it was just um him lashing out at just Darpo just being in and around him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, sorry, yeah, go, go on mate, what were you saying?
0: No, I was, I was just about to say, so I completely understand the reaction from um from the whole Bolton team surrounding the ref to send it off because it was just t- totally needless yeah if the, if if they're frustrated by Darpo running past them or somehow managing to use whatever magnets in his boots to keep hold of the ball throughout the game then then that's that that's that's their fault for not doing enough to get it off him it in the just to sum it up it was just incredible shithousery
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was it was Was it the kind of thing that it's a, if an opposition player had done to us we'd be you know making banners about how much we hated him at the right about now
0: oh yeah it's it yeah but that's just the nature of football it's it's great it's great when it happens for you when it goes against you you're effing and jeffing all over the place about it but it went in our favor so i've got no complaints but it but objectively i would say it was a red card anyway
1: Fair enough. And and also the thing that I'd like to talk to you about is um, taking him off at half-time.
0: Uh, admittedly, my dad and I
1: were watching the game completely in favour of him coming off. We would, we'd said that we didn't think Everett would actually make that decision and we were very pleased to see that him, that he did. Um, obviously, Dapper was very upset by it and you know wanted to stay on the pitch to help the team, which, which is a good attitude to have, but he might have been his own worst enemy in that situation had he been left on, don't you think?
0: Yeah, no, I was I was pleasantly surprised myself. Everett's not really been known for his half-time substitutions. I think he's only made about two or three that I remember since since the turn of the year. Yeah, uh, yeah, and with Dapo on the yellow, and especially with how involved he was getting in, just the challenges, the amount of fouls he was drawing, and just how much he was getting the ball, it 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 a second yellow probably would have been inevitable. So no it it was the right, it was the right change. Personally I wouldn't have brought on Delfonso but I do understand why he brought him on for for extra strength but I would have brought on uh, Elbazedi myself. Really? Yeah yeah no to take advantage of the extra pace because that's what they were struggling with down that left-hand side. Funds, despite his ability to hold on to the ball um doesn't really have great decision making he turns back a lot he t- he tends to slow the momentum down sometimes which isn't which isn't bad sometimes but in a game like this especially with how much darpo was threatening um down their right hand side I think we just needed to keep up that kind of pace going but whatever it's on it's all in the past it was a sensible change and dapo did his job at the end of the day I just really wish the lad would score a bloody goal.
1: I think, I think we all do I really think if we all he, do he, Chris sco-
0: sorry I was about to say if he scores against extra on Saturday I'm going to go absolutely mental
1: <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think we all will Chris I know he's your favourite player so you probably would have been disappointed to, to see him come off at half time but do you also think it was the right decision and, and also how much uh, are you going to be
3: celebrating as and when he does get his first goal yeah I love him I think he's brilliant it, it, it's been a, like I said previously it's been hard to love Bolton over the last few years and so you haven't really connected with two too many players, and and I think there's some who transcend this 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 mad obsession with assists. Goals fine, assists not so much. I think Dapo's style of play is so unique that it doesn't really matter. At least not to me whether he scores or whether he sets anything up. Um, one little thing just to say about the commentary if me just just before before I move on to my next point is I think I thought their commentary was brilliant. <laughs> if you put any. any pair of in in front of a microphone watching a game, you're going to get the sort of one-eyed nonsense that their, their guys came out with, and I I liked it. I thought it was quite funny. Um, certainly not taking it as seriously as, as one or two people in the uh, in the Wonders internet world. Uh, bring it on! But yeah, back back on back onto I think taking him off was a grand idea. A grand idea. I don't think it, it was leading anywhere else but him being sent off too. I he I did come back on after half time. Uh, I didn't think about Elbazedi James I think that that's a, a decent shout that because Del- I've said a couple of times I think Del- Delfonso has has been maybe the one player who, who has been a, a bit disappointing this season in terms of only in terms of what I expected you know his output's been probably on par with the majority of his own career uh, and I felt like he he sort of coasted a bit through the second half like he has been quite a few games so I think Elbazedi has has played a lot better in his last few appearances you know I think again we are he was coming from a slow, very, very slow start, and and he's proven to be a really good impact sub. So yeah, in hindsight, I would have done the same as James has suggested. But ultimately, I think Dapo, the fact he's so dangerous, and the fact that Morkan was so desperate to stop him, played a huge part in us getting the win. A huge part in throwing an organised Morkan team off the game. And like Mark said, I think Adams just comes across as a as a as small time nobody, you know, in, in local football who. I would expect when come die down from this purple patch, he'll probably disappear back off to, to the, the to the islands and never show his face here ever again. Whereas Dapo is going right to the moon. Right to the moon. He he would be my preference for first summer signing over John, over anyone else. I think he's got something really positive about him. I love his attitude. I love his the fact he gets his head down and just gets on with it. His work ethic's brilliant. Uh, and I think he's one that really would probably benefit even more from the return of, of supporters in the stadium because... Let's face it, all we want at the end of the day is to be entertained. And his style of football is entertaining as fuck. I love it.
1: It's a mouth-watering uh, proposition of having him on one wing and then Politic on the other, isn't it?
3: God oh, damn right, man. God damn right.
1: Mark, Mark you, again, inside track. Any thoughts? I, mean, I know we've mentioned it. In, sorry, it has been mentioned in uh, your paper on occasion that there's a possibility of him staying. But do you think that's a realistic aim for Bolton? Yeah, I think
2: Dapple's really looking to kick on now. I don't think he's he's certainly not interested in sitting around in West Ham's reserves and, and there's probably the option to do so because they do rate him up there. But I, I don't think he's interested in doing that. I think he's 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 one of those lads who's happy living away from London as well, which is a big thing. It sometimes it, it can be an issue for players when they've been living there and then they come out come out to the sticks and uh, and, and struggle, you know. But I think Dapo's managed quite well. Um, and he's been living mostly at the hotel. Um, he, he strikes me as a, a as a very mature young lad, really. And but one one bit of praise I will give to him is is he used the the the, the shit-housery before. He's got that about him. He has got that needle, and he reminds me. He's just got that little kind of streak of doofy about him The he he, he attracts. And I, I wouldn't say controversy, but he he attracts the. The needle from opposing players, and he's quite good at giving it back as well. That work ethic. There's, there's something in there. There's a little mean streak in there. I really like from him, and uh, and that that's what that was the best of Jufi. If you know what I mean, that that was that was his kind of that was his thing. I know there's lots of hate about Jufi. Don't get me wrong, but there was uh, th- there was always that that element that he just, he's like a magnet for trouble on the pitch. And if, if something was going to happen, it, it would happen around him and it caused it created so much space for everybody else. And I think when you watch lion play, because they, the players are drawn to him and, and they know that he can make something happen, it creates those little pockets of space for other people to, to come into and, and to play. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's been really interesting to watch this season.
1: So what you're saying is, Mark, that he's not BTEC Okocha, he's BTEC Juve.
2: I would, I would go B Tech yeah, I like that, I like that indeed. It's, uh, and I'm not so sure about B Tech. They have B Techs anymore.
3: <laughs>
1: honestly, I wouldn't be able to tell you, mate. Honestly, <laughs> I thought you were at university, you're not studying for a, a BTEC? No, I am not. <laughs> How dare you? I, I, I'm a culture. I'm not BTech Tech. A culture. <laughs> I, I, well, I kid, I could, of course. Uh, not quite. Anywhere near able to lace that man's boots, the best player I've ever seen at this club by a country mark. But who knows, Chris, if you get your wish, Dapo might be able to take us all the way up the divisions and maybe be revered just as much. Who knows? Um, I was going to talk about how the, the game obviously changed with the red card, but how the style I thought was, was really odd for Morkum. But I think it was a point that you raised, James, I'd like to ask you, Mark, about, is um, the improvements in performance of Zach Elbizedi, which I admittedly did not see coming at all. But... Despite myself, because I, I I do as you've gathered like to make up my mind about something and then not change it unless presented with completely irrefutable evidence. But he has been quite exciting when, when given the opportunity to
2: run into into space. Well, I think the the benefit he has is that that amazing pace. He runs very upright. He has a very unique style of running, uh, but he's he's so quick. He's he's definitely the quickest player. In, if maybe him or Declan, I'd like to see a foot race between the two of them, but. He uh, he's been introduced against tired legs quite a bit, and I do like him. I thought I thought his decision making probably lets him down at times, yeah. and I think it certainly did it on Saturday. Um, but on, on a big pitch, if if you know if we're going into the last ten minutes and it's nil nil on Saturday, he's just the perfect player to 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 throw on there and 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 really test test opponents out because. No, no defender likes pace. Sort of facing pace, um, particularly at League Two level. And he's got, he's got, you know, pace to absolutely burn. Um, you can certainly argue that he could shoot better. He could, he could potentially cross better. Um, but it's nice to see that he's he's back at a level where people are talking about him being in the team again because he did drop off, he did, have a, he did struggle at first, he didn't quite guess it, whether that was moving away from Lincoln, living in a hotel, all that kind of stuff, just settling down, I don't know. But he admits that himself. Um, but it's it's a great option to have.
1: Yeah, he reminds me a bit of a rugby player, if I'm honest. Um, like a, a, w- a winger being given the ball freed and then just exploiting all that space, like a George North mm. kind of type. Because um, mm. you're right, it's, that, it's a very odd... Running star for someone so fast. Not quite as odd as George Thomason's, but I don't think anybody <laughs> does quite have that. <laughs>
3: There's have only that
1: one. Um, yeah, sorry. The, the, so the thing I was going to mention was about the uh, the change in style um, after the red card. What I didn't expect from Morecambe, especially obviously they are a team who don't do an awful lot with the ball. Um, they have what is it, 30% possession as an average over the course of the season. But I didn't expect them to drop off and just let us play in the way that they did. Did that just surprise you, Mark? Watching that game, that they were so deep for the rest of the match. Because I think it, I think it probably is the main reason why we won the game.
2: Yeah, I I think they they let them off the hook a little bit, probably midway through the second half. In the end, and and they just just ventured out a little bit to try and get back into the game. But yeah, it did surprise me. It did surprise me. They uh, they obviously did everything they could to slow things down and and to to waste as much time as possible. But I think that indiscipline just cost them, and, th- and then it, it kind of transmitted to the bench, didn't it? With Derek Adams getting involved in, with Dapo, um, and they just lost the plot. The, you know, the whole game plan went out the window, and you could you could hear the frustration from the more players like Sam Lavelle, who was kind of trying to get them going again and getting pushing up the pitch, but it just wasn't happening. And um, you know, the whole their whole style is built around, you know, getting it up there towards Stockton and then getting Gomez and, and, and Price playing around him. Um, it, and it just didn't happen until probably 15, 20 minutes to go or so. And, and and Bolt had missed so many chances at that point, it just became like basketball and, and it was going backwards and forwards. And, and obviously there's the, the chance at the end. But... No, uh, they disappointed me more. Everything about Morecambe disappointed me on on Saturday, and not that I care in the slightest, but no. It, uh, <laughs> it, it, it No, it, I, I was expecting it to be a really good game, and it and it wasn't in any way, shape or form.
1: I mean, I, I
2: was expecting it to be a grind, as has
1: been most of these games over. I think it's like 19 matches, something. Was it 16 wins? No, I, my maths is terrible. 15 wins out of the 19 matches, two losses and two draws, or something like that. Um, and yeah I, 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 all of them have been by very very narrow margins and I'll come back to you Mark about how, what that must mean for you as a journalist being, being terrified about the prospect of a last minute rewrite um, but James how frustrating was it to yet again see us so many good opportunities I think one of the ones that sticks out to me is when Sarsovic turned his man beautifully after coming on sprinted into the box and looked for all the world like he was going to shoot and then decided to play a ball to his growth five yards too far in front of him the chance was gone.
0: yeah it, it's it's like that old, um, what is it that that old thing that people used to say um, in Wenger during his latter years that Arsenal were always guilty of overplaying. It, yeah. it seems to me that at sometimes during the games we just seem to fall under a similar curse. We're just guilty of trying to overplay to create the perfect goal instead of sometimes just having a pop or testing out to see see or just having a shot see where it bounces because. I, I don't know. I I don't know what I don't know what to tell you about all the missed chances. Every time I th- every time I think that there's some way we can avoid it we we just seem to go back to winning 1-0 again. It's a very popular scoreline but hey, what well, 1-0 is still a win so I'd I i do not really mind. i hopefully we can still blow away a team by the end of the season but hey. W- w- wins are wins. I'm not bo- I'm not bothered.
1: You say that, but you must be a little bit concerned when we go into the last 10 minutes. Certainly in the in the Carlisle game, it was it got very hairy. But then, you know, if we if we had the ability to take our chances, the kind of blocks that Baptiste was forced to make in the Morecambe game don't have any kind of significance.
0: See, I would speak more on that, but because I thought I was a bit wank, um, during that point <laughs> of, of the game, my stream buffered, so I didn't even get to see any of it.
3: You so- were lucky. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah I've, I've heard i've heard that was a clenching moment for everyone so, so oh, I, I only really got to see the comfortable parts of the game and the frustrating parts where just no one except and um, no one except jackson looked like scoring really no he,
1: it, it's amazing isn't it how he was our biggest goal threat because that first one that he hit in the first half on the
0: half volley, is a hell of a shot yeah well that's it's just what serious. you got to do sometimes sometimes you just need to have a pop Maybe maybe yeah, that, maybe that just needs to be enough. gotten across more. But like I said, at the end of the day, we as long as we win, we win. I have I have faith in our defense most of the times when we're ahead. To you know, to, nowadays to hold on to the win. It 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 would it would be better for my heart if it was more comfortable. But once that whistle blows, I could not care less.
1: Here, here. Chris, we have to talk about it because it was, as, as James so eloquently puts it, a clenching moment. Um, right at the end of the game, when Baptiste had to make the double block off the line, did you see that going in, or did you have every faith
3: that we were going to be able to see that win over the line? No, I mean, it was it was an half puckering moment. Absolutely make no bones about it. But at the same time, there's just something about the guys, isn't there, to, collectively, that you just think there's the spirit. Is is not going to allow that disappointment that has been so so dominant in recent years to, to come back and do and happen again to us. It it, it just seems to be that it's, it's, it's destiny and and to have such a dramatic season of highs and lows, even in the last sixteen seventeen games alone, is it, absolutely phenomenal. I, I I just don't know um, of a comparable story in you know from from being so low down to being where we are going into Saturday's game all coming into combination to the guys at the minute. They are coaching, like said, posting earlier on. I think they are too. It's a, it's a perfect way to describe my feelings about the guys at the minute. They're, they're not going to allow anything to top they, They've worked too hard for it and, and they know what it, it'll mean to them. And now they know what it'll mean to the supporters as well. So, so yeah, it was tense. But at the same time, I, I was I full confidence in the guys, having the the desire to do everything they possibly can to keep the ball out of the goal.
1: It, it does help when you've got Baptiste and Santos alongside each other, performing out of their yeah. skins at the moment. Although it's it's a bit ridiculous, though, isn't it, Chris? How I think today is they've announced the three people who are in line to potentially be the League Two Player of the Year, and Santos and Baptiste are nowhere to
3: be seen. Uh, couldn't give a toss, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Do you don't um, seek
1: the validation of your fellow man about your own it, club.
3: It matters not. No, I know they've played well. All oh, that should be enough for them and for me.
1: Fair enough. Well, at least, at least, you can take solace in the fact that Santos was recognised by FIFA. Then, uh,
3: yes. Well, you know, as as sad to see the decline of Lov from being a uh, a predominantly pro Evo website and podcast into the shambles it is today, I mean, FIFA rankings. Unbelievable. I'm
1: firmly football manager, although Mark will argue about Championship manager. I'm sure
3: uh,
1: a much superior game
3: in, in his opinion. In that I think Ricardo Santos is probably the Andrew Duncan to say again an absolute colossus of a centre half in the early days of ninety seven
2: ninety eight. I would I would not uh, not disagree. I would also venture forward uh, uh, like a Daniel Carnascali from uh, uh, Championship Manager Italia. Uh, Defender right centre, Fiorentina. Yeah, fantastic, uh, fantastic defender. Uh, Yeah, no, I'd take champ man every day of the week. Uh, I mean, football man is too much. You need a frigging degree to operate it nowadays. I haven't got, I haven't got, I'm not like a uni student sat around with bloody hours to kill. I want, I want a quick game. Yeah. To be fair,
1: it has been very sad for me to see the, the decline of Football Manager. I, I, until my old laptop packed up, I, I was very, very sad and still playing Football Manager 2007 because we managed to have an Elker at that point and it was fun to actually play as Bolton Wanderers for a few years before <laughs> all the regens come in and you can you can pick whoever the hell you like. Um, yeah. I, I, I mentioned it in passing, Mark. Obviously, as a journalist, you, you're terrified of the last-minute rewrite, even if it is a good result for your for your team. When that ball was was. Coasting towards the net at what seemed like a Lloyd Isgrove-esque pace from Cole Stockton, too. <laughs> you must have been very, very concerned.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's it's an occupational hazard, isn't it? I, I think uh, I've 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 learned to to deal with that sort of last-minute rewrite over the years, but it, it doesn't stop you. Backside from uh, going like a puppy's nose, to be truthful, and, and, and knowing you'd have to rip rip things up because it's so important at this point in time, you can't get away with just changing one or two words and, and maybe just you know a couple of paragraphs. It's almost like a complete uh, complete alteration of the of what it would have meant. But fair play to Baps. I mean, King of the uh, Diorite King. That's what he is. He's uh, he's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Real unsung hero. Um, lovely bloke. Um, he looks. Like he's 86, <laughs> I, he's not going to do you any favors for the paper now, is he? <laughs> the fella, the fella looks like he hasn't had a, a decent night's sleep for about 32 years, um, but he is—he uh, is a top guy, and um, he deserves a bit of credit. And I'm glad, a really glad, in fact, that uh, that. That kind of he's won people over, and and I'm also glad he got to tell his story a little bit. We did an interview him the other day about about his time with Friedman and and the fact that he had issues off the pitch, and and his you know family issues, and and it, it just affected him last time. I mean, he's still, you know, that those every every time somebody said Baptiste, it was always those penalties, one month
1: penalties. And, I'm and not. It, I'm it, not forgiving he, him for the Wigan one. He, he could. He could. You know, do whatever
2: for Bolton. I'm never <laughs> going to forgive him for that Wigan one, <laughs> ever. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Um, but it's taking. It's, it's taking him a long time to get 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 it round. But I'm just glad for him. I'm glad for him. There's some lovely stories in there that you know, good lads that that have, have worked really, really hard to to change people's minds in there. Rico's another one. You know, it, obviously people were calling him every name under the sun after about three or four games, but then suddenly it, it switched for him and now he's he's got, you know, FIFA FIFA rankings or whatever the hell it is. I, I have no idea what that sort of stuff is. <laughs> it's, it's all right, Mark, I know, I'm I know, sorry I, know I ever mentioned it. in the post. That's all I know. Yeah,
1: I'm sorry I ever mentioned it. Um, it's, it is interesting that you mentioned the tribalism of Bolton fans about how when they're for you, they're really for you. When they're not, yeah. my God, they're not. Baptiste epitomises that, doesn't it? Because he has just managed to change... Every person's opinion on him in, in in the space of you know three or four months of ridiculously good performances. I obviously don't want to put you in a compromising position whereby you've got to speak ill of the people who you might be wanting to get um, quotes for, for for the newspaper. But <laughs> just looking at it, um, uh, just uh, I don't know a sliding doors moment. Let's say that red card for Ryan Delaney at Tranmere, which meant the Baptiste then came into the side. Does that? counters as a defining moment of this season? Do you think? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's certainly one for a bad one for Delaney because he'd been playing quite well at that point in time. I don't think anybody had any real issues with him in the team, but that's oh Chris, Chris, does. Don't worry. Oh uh, well, fair enough. I mean, uh, uh, Delaney. I think we all re- we all recognise his limitations as a player. Um, I, I don't think he steps into midfield. And he's as comfortable in possession as uh, Baptiste, so I think it did work out quite well in the end. Um, that there isn't the same kind of balance potentially as kind of left side, right side, uh, centre halves. But um, no, I think just the switch, just the switch to the back four, was worked very much in Baptiste's favour. It was it was a system he was much happier with. He didn't look great the last time we played three at the back. When he was when he was there, and you, you know, I don't think any of them were particularly enamoured with playing three at the back. Um, so when they did go to that four, it benefited uh, Santos, It benefited Baptiste. Obviously, Delaney's been the unlucky one, um, and we've all forgotten about Rhys Greenwich. So that that was that. There's a lot of
1: players who fit under that category, which is what's going to make um, what we do in the summer. Very, mm. very interesting because you've got Comley, you've got Greenwich, um, you've got Gordon and Hickman out currently on loan, and Maskell as well. Uh, although I think Maskell's only a one-year deal, if in if memory. Yeah,
2: comes. so is Hickman, I think. Oh,
1: oh, fair enough. But you know, the point, the point still stands. There's a lot of lads there who were brought in in the summer with the thought of them possibly being part of this was it Moneyball kind of yeah. model. And instead, what's actually been successful has been going for proven quality in January because that that that. We've said it on the podcast before, but obviously you've not you've not been here to be able to weigh in on it. It's probably one of the best January windows we've had ever since that uh, 2008 one that Megson had with Cahill, Steinson and uh, Matt Taylor.
2: Yeah, no, it's very good shout. That a very good shout. Uh, I think what what's happening now is that that Chris Markham that came in kind of to do the the, the technical director job and to, to identify potential signings. I think a few weeks ago I spoke to him, he said, at uh, the minute I'm kind of juggling, I've got one list of, of League Two players and one list of League One players. I think slowly but surely that, that list of League Two players has been diminished and now he's looking very much towards League One players. And... I do feel that that means the end of the road for the the Comleys and the Crawfords and, you know, the players that just haven't got in this season. I'm sure they'll be given an opportunity to prove otherwise. You know, you never say never, but I think they've got to make some firm decisions. They can't afford to carry passengers into next season. They will need, uh, you know, another layer of uh, younger players as well to sign, and they'll also need extra quality. If they're going to make a dent in League One, and it's going to cost money. And and they they know full well that it's going to cost money next season. The exciting thing is, of course, they can theoretically pay money once they get out of an embargo. <laughs> Whether they've got it or not it remains to be seen. Exactly, but we, exactly. We we'll all, we, all wait and see on that one. We we don't know, do we? But I I, I have a strange I have a strange feeling we, we might well see um a, a rare a rare cash signing at Bolton that might work out better than Twardzik or McGuinness.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, obviously he's doing very well at, at Hull now, um, which I'm not particularly enjoyable because I'm not going to forgive him for, for the Wickham debacle, which left poor Eddie Brown up against Damian Stewart and uh, Darius <laughs> Charles, the poor soft. Um But um, yeah, no, I don't want our last um, cash signing to be Josh McGinnis. Thank you very much. I'd like to get him out of the history books as soon as possible. <laughs> um, James, in the in the aftermath of the game, obviously we've talked about uh, how fantastic it was to see the team be able to uh, congratulate the fans and vice versa. Uh, we're going into this coming weekend. We, we we will be promoted if we win the game. How do you see it going?
0: Uh, we're gonna probably that we're gonna win one 0 <laughs> It it's, it would be poetic at this point, considering how much that result has done as a world of good in the in this entire run. So yeah, just just give me that, and just give me that, and then we'll have free reign to destroy Crawley whatever scoreline we want. Just long, just long as we win, though. I don't want it to go to the final day. I, I was going to say. going to say. Do you
1: not do you not think it would be very Bolton to let it go to Crawley?
0: I mean, it would be exciting in a way, but don't you dare! But, don't you dare! <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying it would be exciting in a way, but you know, it, it's not. It's not like when we were at... P- when we were at Peterborough or when, or the forest game where we had the fans in front of us moments like that, where we go up or save our skins or whatever has to be in front of the fans. I can imagine a lot of people probably including myself going down to the stadium Saturday, just hanging around the area while the game's going on. And as as soon as that winning results comes through, the celebrations around there are just going to pop off it, you know, so X is X is the kind of game that's much better for that you don't, you don't want it to be settled on a way day at Crawley Where, where's the fun in that the lads will have to travel back and then and, the, and then party afterwards nah nah you gotta do it in the moment
1: let's hope it happens Chris ever the pessimist if you don't mind my saying are we a bit more optimistic about our chances this weekend of getting
3: it done yeah, totally. They're going to stuff him, man. Stuff him. I think it'd be a, a wonderful story for me if if Dapo could be the one to do it. I think that'd be a really, really great moment for him and and for what he's put in for the club this season. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter, does it? As long as we get over the line, one nil or five nil, who who knows? Uh, I I just think it's it's written in the stars, mate. It's written in the stars. And um, good for you. Anyone who wants to go down and uh, and celebrate in the in the car park if the car parks are not barricaded off. But, hey, it's it, who can blame people being excited after what we've had to put up over the last few years?
1: No, You are not wrong on that score. Um, if I were to trouble both of you before before I come to Mark to, to finish for a score prediction, Chris, what do you think it'll be?
3: 1-0
1: a Lion. God, I hope so. James?
0: Ooh. I'll, nah, I'll echo that sentiment.
1: 1-0 One, Dapo.
0: 1-0 Dapo please if not if not 1-0 Santos and just prove that we can actually score and make use of a bloody corner or something
1: I thought he'd done it I truly thought he'd done it against Morecambe uh, there, there was that moment where he just flashed past the post and I was out of my seat ready to shirt off run around the garden like a lunatic I would have absolutely loved it if he'd done that but it wasn't to be unfortunately let's hope he can tr- do it this weekend um Mark before I trouble you for, for prediction or thoughts about the extra game uh I wasn't going to mention the End thing, but I'm now going to mention it. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, well, it looks as though, if all being well, you've got your prediction correct about Bolton going up. Um, Southend going up, not so much. Uh, did, did you see this coming? Did you honestly see this coming? We, everyone shows you that graphic of the table at the end of January compared to now. Did you have any inclination that Bolton could go on the run to be able to get themselves into a position where we're now
2: favourites to be promoted? Uh, no, not at all. No, I, th- I think by the end of January, the start of February, I think I'd pretty much written off the season, the same as, same as everybody else. I just felt it was a case of of almost damage limitation and giving fans something to give them hope to buy season tickets, or you know, at, at least just make sure it wasn't going to be a miserable summer. Um, and you know, and if and if it had worked out that way, and, and it, it might still, but you know, let's. Stay optimistic. Um, you know, if, if, if they were looking at another season in League Two, then it wouldn't be completely abnormal. It, it doesn't necessarily happen overnight. And, I, and I, I never felt that the owners were looking to, to make sure it did happen overnight. It wasn't a Salford City job where there was, there was huge pressure on the manager to play a certain way or to, 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 to achieve a certain goal.
1: So excuse, excuse my interrupting. Do you, do you think then that they weren't concerned financially that they wouldn't necessarily be able to fund the club, a in a pandemic and b
2: still in League Two. I think the pandemic is a completely separate issue. I mean, obviously nobody is going to want to put, you know fund a football club during a, a, a pandemic for another twelve months. Um, they they would obviously have to be, um, you know, concessions in some way, shape, or form for that to happen. But no, I think they they had budget plans for. When they came in, they had budget plans to stay in League One. They had budget plans for, for for League Two, and I dare say that they had budget plans to stay in League Two and, you know, also a, a backup plan for promotion. Um, I'm sure they never thought about Conference, by the way. But the um, yeah. the, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I never felt in any way, shape, or form that they were thinking, well, we need to change the manager because we can't afford. To do this, or we, you know, we can't afford to be mid-table or finish that way. It, it was never, never that way. And I know there was a lot of pressure from the fans, and, and, and people had a right to be angry because, as I said before, I think they overpromised at the beginning. I, I think they underestimated how hard it was going to be to bed things in, and, and they they put faith in the wrong people to bring the players in to buy phoenix. Basically, but let's not beat around the bush. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't think that worked out at all. And once they relinquished control and gave gave, uh, you know, he had a chance to get the players in that he really needed. It's all worked out quite swimmingly, and it's been a different team. So, so that's great. You know, I think. Um, and by the way, we're, we're right in south end, off it. There's two games to go. They could make a late push.
1: No, they're, they're not quite. Cool, they won't. <laughs> <laughs>
2: They're not quite in Port Vale's
1: position. Never said us beating them was the best thing that ever happened to them. It was an incredible run that they've they've been on recently. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, you're correct with the the Tobias Phoenix thing, and there's there's other things that one could point to about the ownership and things that they've got wrong. You know, I think in hindsight the Keith Hill appointment was was wrong. I think in hindsight, as we as we've briefly touched on the uh, changing of the academy system was wrong. But mm. they seem to have learned from these mistakes, and that's what's refreshing about it. Because they've got people on board who now seem to be pulling in the right direction, as well as also knowing football. Which you know clearly they admitted from the start that that wasn't their their forte. Um, and to be honest, results on the pitch obviously help to make your opinions of things going off it a lot more popular and a lot more um, positive. But. You know, why can we complain? We've been on a fantastic Did, run and we look like we're going to get promoted. It's, it's do you think that's good. half
2: the thing, though? But do you think that, that, that the fact that they have made mistakes, the owners, and even we, we said before, there, you never at the top of the, the podcast, Ian never made mistakes. Do you think the fact that it seems like they're learning, he's learning, the whole thing, it, it feels a little bit more like you're doing it together and that has actually helped? The fallibility the has actually helped.
3: I definitely do, uh, if I may interrupt, Tom.
2: The
3: the repeated messages from Liverpool fans, for example, with the missteps that their owners have made continually and yet still demanding a lot of the supporters, it certainly feels like this is more of a two way relationship than than you're going to see further up the pyramid. And I think you can forgive people making genuine and honest mistakes through an experience or or through wanting to do the right thing. And again, that's why that's, that's a huge difference from what we've been used to under. He shall not be named when when it's being made solely for the benefit of one person. Uh, so yeah, I think it'll be a, a continual process as we as we grow and develop, and they grow and develop as, as owners. Uh, but I think the the relationship's looking really healthy and really positive.
1: And long may it continue, boys. Long may it continue. Um, I think that just about wraps it up apart from to ask you Mark for a score prediction I know you're probably going to not want to do it given that you're saving one for the buff uh, later this week
2: but if you wouldn't mind giving us a bit of a previous to what you might be saying uh, to be honest with you, I'll probably forget what I've said anyway um, I'll, uh, I'm going to go 1-0 I agree with the boys uh, but I'm going to go for Gethin Jones to score Ooh. the winner another unsung hero that I think deserves a bit of credit because he's been as, as consistent from start to finish as anybody else
1: in that squad this is the thing. I think we're getting on in time for this podcast, but if we wanted to do like a run through of the 15 or so who seem to be playing week in, week out or coming off on the bench week in, week out, you've got Isgrove, Thomason, Lee, Williams, Jones, you know, are loads of people who could be described as unsung heroes, which I think is the collective of a very successful team. Oh, <laughs> With, my, my God, we've not had that for a long time. Not for a long time. Uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for joining me this evening, uh, James and Chris. Thank you also to you, Mark, for, for making time in your very busy schedule and what I presume is going to be a very hectic week building up to uh, this sex of the game for coming on to us. And obviously, we all look forward to, to listening to The Buff on, on Friday. Uh, I think, boys, it's almost safe to say that the whites are going up, but I'm not going to say it just yet. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, to episode 163 of the Line of industry Street podcast.